Linnaean. Linnaean. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. London. Linnaean Society of London. Linnaean. 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 Future. 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 How is the looming fear of climate change finding its way into our psychology, art and culture? Its deepening impact on our daily lives is manifesting in several ways. Art and culture is one of the most potent representations of our affections, fears and motivations. And with this in mind, how is the climate crisis impacting artists and their creations, if it is? To find out more, we spoke to London-based multi-instrumentalist musician, composer and producer Cosmo Sheldrake. Cosmo released his first single, The Moss, in 2014, which was followed by the Pelican's V EP in 2015, and his debut album, The Much Much How How and I, in April 2018. Cosmo collaborated with Bernie Cross at the Great Animal Orchestra exhibition at Foundation Cartier in Paris, and in 2019, he released a series of wake-up calls, pieces composed entirely from recordings of endangered British birds. He has toured internationally, composed music for film and theatre, and in 2015, he ran a community choir in Brighton. He releases music through his own label, Tardigrade Records. Here is Cosmo. We were lucky enough to grow up right next to Hampstead Heath, which is a big kind of thousand-acre wild place, basically, in the centre of London. So I, I grew up very much running around there and having access to that. So that sort of felt like a kind of extended garden. But then also, um, yeah, we spent quite a lot of time in British Columbia growing up as well, on this remote island there. So that's somewhere which always really like struck me with the, the sense of wildness, just because it's, you know, as, as opposed to m- much of America, which was settled and colonised three, four hundred years ago, and or more you know some of these islands where we spend a lot of time were like um, the first settlers really kind of living on them moving on to them to live there it was in the sort of 1920s or whatever so it's just this this very different experience of the time frame of, of colonialism and also the kind of um, so-called um, discovery and exploration of this that part of the world so that's somewhere which always massively enchanted me just because it it really does feel like it's living in a completely different time zone to, to a lot of parts of the world that I'm more familiar with. My name's Cosmo Sheldrake and I'm a musician um, and I make a lot of my music from recordings of the natural world in various capacities and the most recent project I released was an album called Wake Up Calls, which is composed entirely using recordings of endangered British birdsong. My dad's a biologist and a kind of quite an old school kind of naturalist type and, a, and also a plant scientist, um, very much a sort of botanist himself. And so, so I grew up spending a huge amount of time outside and um, outdoors identifying plants and trees and all sorts of stuff and, and was very much encouraged to, to, to become a sort of naturalist in the kind of amateur sense of the word. And then also I, I ended up... Um, doing uh, a degree in anthropology and I ended up studying quite a lot that scientists became and biologists in particular kind of became the focus of my studies in fact Linnaeus himself was was something that I ended up um, spending quite a lot of time thinking about. (laughs) 
I think often, all too often, there is this kind of false dichotomy made made between nature and culture, and and you know, nature something out there and culture something through which we see nature, and there's this separate entity. And I, I just, I kind of just, I don't feel like that's that's not the way I experience the world. And I certainly feel like those two those two categories are much more intertwined and blurred than um, to the point of them being sort of useless categories. I have a, a love of spending time in wild places and, and get a lot of inspiration from, from places that are kind of fairly uncultivated, un, un kind of domesticated. It's something that I've always relied on and been fed by and, and that's had a profound impact on my kind of creative process and, and inspiration seems to come more from those kind of places than sort of highly, highly sort of cultivated, domesticated environments. It's impossible sometimes to just talk about in terms of nature if you know what I mean just because it's it's so much more complicated than that and also I think involves so much more of our what we would normally sort of describe as sort of cultural practices and also the more and more that people sort of look at linguistics in animals and and, and the way that information shared that, that um, between animals you know people are coming around to the, the, the idea that actually we now need to say that birds for example have culture whales for example have culture and that's just the beginning you know it's just the the, the, the beginning of this sort of landslide, I reckon, that, that the more people find out about the social interactions between sort of um, social animals and stuff, that we'll realise that actually, you know, all things have, have culture to a certain degree. Termites have culture, ants have culture, you know. So I think, you know, I, I love nature, but I, I think there's um, lots more to it in the way that we actually talk about it and explore it. What do you do in April? I open my bill in May. I sing night and day in June. I change my tune in July. Far off, I fly in August away. This fascinating research being done by a guy called Steve Simpson at the University of Exeter, and he's he's basically been finding out that by playing the sounds of healthy coral reefs to to kind of dying or um, damaged reefs, that just by the sound of the healthy reef will encourage other fish to come back, and they'll repopulate the reef, and then they'll graze on all the algae that was smothering it, and the reef will come back into a state of health by just playing the sounds of a healthy reef. And sound is a hugely Im Im important way in which a lot of these fish that grow up on the reefs communicate, obviously, but also navigate, decide where they're going to live and all, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's of massive relevance to ecology, essentially, and there's this fascinating discipline of acoustic ecology that I'm very interested in. But, but then with birds, for example, it's quite different, I think, because they're more they're like the way in which they vocalise and, and sing and stuff can can be more sort of territorial, can be more sort of these mating songs and stuff. So if you sort of willy-nilly just go start playing a nightingale back to a nightingale, for example, it might confuse the nightingale and it might sort of, you know, somehow in interfere with this sort of process of it trying to find a mate or it might, you know, robins, again, like incredibly territorial birds. So the way that I make the music from the bird song is it's, it's augmented and slowed down and changed. So it's not, I don't worry that like I'm going to be freaking out a, um, a robin and I'm going to get attacked by um, 
fight the robins but but i i am just I'm, I'm aware and conscious of the fact that like i'm entering into a conversation which is bigger than myself which is more rich and subtle than i could ever know and that that i have to do so with a certain kind of um delicacy because otherwise i don't want to necessarily impose myself but at the same time like you know just a couple of weeks ago i was playing music next to a nightingale in a wood and i was playing using our recordings of other nighttime singing birds and you know it was genuinely responding rhythmically and melodic melodically to the things that i was doing and and so there are sometimes like genuine conversations there that that can happen and there's you know there's a long history of nightingales and musicians having these interactions and um and in parts of north africa where nightingales would often come and land on the tuning pegs of the rabab players who were playing these these instruments. So I think it's important specifically when making music from Sounds of the Natural World and playing it back in um, wild places, it's important to think about how they will be interpreted and um, by the various creatures that were within earshot. For me, it's always just this, this passionate like awareness and commitment to this no notion that there is just so much more there. These aren't just like random vocalizations. This is socially acquired um, stuff. If you if you bring up a, a young blackbird out of earshot of the rest of its, you know, family and and um, kin, it will it will kind of produce a relatively stunted song. That's the kind of thing that it just inherits but but most of it is is taught and learnt and acquired and and there's so many situations with different birds will imitate other birds around them and it's it's like this dense communication this dense like network and fabric of um of rich subtle interactions and communications i found it much easier and more inspiring to kind of work with sounds that already existed and sounds from the the, the kind of the natural world they just had so much charisma and character in the first place so i just found that became a big part of my musical practice so I guess, you know, part, part of the reason that I've been drawn to, to exploring that musically is, is because it already seems to me so, so wonderfully musical in the first place and, and just such sort of a low-hanging fruit and rich pickings. But also as a way of trying to, like, shine more light onto, onto this rich tapestry. And also likewise with, um, I'm doing quite a lot of stuff with ocean sounds at the moment and, and sort of just getting really into cetacean communications and, and there's just so much to it. They're again, like totally socially inquired. They have nicknames for each other. They have first and second names for each other. They live in linguistic and ethnic groups that you could describe on sort of like clan and sort of tribe sort of levels if, if those are the words you decided to use. Or you can see where they've like a humpback whale's been by the kind of style of song it's singing and who it's interacted with. So I just, I think, yeah, part, part of the reason why I've been drawn to exploring these these kinds of things is, is because of this kind of awareness that, um, you know, there is, is a lot more going on there. The, the ears and the acoustics and, and sound has often, you know, been so, so overlooked for hundreds of years and um, as a kind of, you know, serious and meaningful way of, of learning about the world in, in favour of sight. Sight's often been the sort of, um, or so-called oculus entryism is sort of, been a main feature of, of science in, um, for a long time. So I think on, on the one hand, just sort of acoustic ecology and the awareness of sound and, and what we can learn from it from a kind of ecological perspective is really important. So that's something that I try and sort of express or explore through, through the music. But also then, more than that, just, just the kind of animal intelligence itself and, and um, 
and just the hope that you know by kind of by making music from endangered birdsong it can help us relate or, or have relationships with these with these creatures and 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 by way of that then hopefully more of a passionate relationship to the environments which they they live in and and, and hopefully then um, the ability to actually co-inhabit those, those environments. I, I dabbled for a while with a more hands-on kind of activism approach a few years ago and kind of got involved in various climate movements and went to Copenhagen for the Environmental Summit and was sort of, you know, involved with some of the, the climate camp, which is kind of a lot of the rubble of that then turned into Extinction Rebellion. Just personally, I just, I found that I could potentially be more effective or more engaged by just pursuing sort of musical angles in which I could sort of think about some of these themes and it's such a cataclysmic sort of slow motion train crash that's sort of happening that, that the likes of which have only been witnessed, well not even witnessed, but like there's been five mass extinctions before this um, in the entire history of life. So it's like, you know, there's only been six, we're in the middle of the sixth um, moments that of similar kind of significance in the entire history of life on this planet. So I mean, it's, it's massive, underwrites all sorts of different emotions, the emotional responses to it come out in all sorts of other ways, various anxieties, whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's something that you can't really disentangle from the kind of psychology of this day and age, really, and especially for young people, I think, in this day and age, who, who kind of are facing that more, um, as we've seen from this huge kind of youth climate strike movement over the last couple of years, you know, the, certainly young people are taking it on much more and, um, and feeling the effects of, of what it really means much more than a lot of the older generation. So I think it's, yeah, it's a huge part of, um, I think everyone's sort of landscape and, you know, but I, yeah, so definitely a, a big part of, and a big motivating force behind a lot of um, kind of artistic expression and um, things that I get up to. <laughs> complete fallacy to sort of think that science is, is is the way in which like we learn about the world and that arts is just a sort of way in which we reflect those understandings like they're, they're both methods of inquiry that that can engage in incredibly meaningful ways that and and you know effective ways art installations and art can have dramatic meaningful physical effects on ecosystems depending on how you know depending on the nature of the art thing or the whatever the actual um, intervention or the happening or whatever it is you know so many of this art science kind of collaboration things is just somebody will think ah oh, well we should um we should get an artist involved and basically they mainly think just like you know sonify that data or, or just make it a sort of understandable in different contexts of different audience but well, I think that's kind of missing the point I think I think Art is just a whole method of inquiry in and of itself that can can explore all sorts of like possible futures, all sorts of potential solutions, and and all sorts of like engaging with 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 the problems themselves. Um, and also, I think you know, in the art world, more so than the scientific community in the last sort of ten fifteen years, there's been this much greater willingness to adopt this kind of new kind of ecological understandings and awarenesses, and and a lot of this kind of social sciences and this kind of multi-species ethnography kind of approach to um 
to thinking and um so thomas saracino for example who's an amazing artist he, he was these hugely complex n- networks of of collaborations with scientific communities and, and um, various labs and all, all sorts of stuff and and through his you know his so-called artworks he's also making genuine contributions to the scientific to the study of arachnids for example he was the first person to have a 3d scanner uh, spiders with Um, there's a fascinating article by Tim Ingold, actually, who's a, an anthropologist whose whose father was a mycologist, and he's reflecting also on this, on the fact that actually, like, you know, the more groundbreaking um, sort of work, in a way, of of moving things forward um, in this kind of ecological debate is coming more from the kind of arts um, side of things at the moment than the than the sciences. The science scientific community is still kind of very much trapped in, I think, a kind of outmoded way of thinking. This kind of super old school materialistic kind of um, enlightenment style kind of reason rationalism still I don't think it's like an accurate portrayal of the way that the world works and the way that you know ecology just as a discipline just as its basic sort of standpoint just you know understands everything as as sort of bound together into these nested holes and nested hierarchies and and everything you tug on one thing and everything else sort of ripples I think the importance of that realization is actually being explored in a much more interesting way through through the arts and and through that you know changing you know I think it would trickle back from the arts into and through public consciousness and popular consciousness into the sciences. So now I think arts have a hugely important role in 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 sort of exploring these themes and and sort of moving the discussion forwards and and actually practical solutions as well and and way more so than than just sort of as a communication vehicle for the sciences, you know, as a kind of PR spin or some sort of way of of getting complex ideas to the general public. I think it's, you know, it's much more than that. So I, I think, you know, artists have a kind of responsibility, actually, to kind of engage with some of these themes and issues. I think like one of the most basic hopes and certainly from some of the birdsong stuff and um, the surrounding kind of work around that is it's just to kind of listen more deeply um, maybe that's definitely a hope um, and a dream of you know from some of the kind of more stuff based in acoustic ecology and also I think it's really important to have a playful kind of sort of irreverence or a, like a kind of celebratory approach as well like not to it can't you know not to just wallow in misery and um, I'm not suggesting that everyone's wallowing in misery but I think that it can be all too easy to wallow in misery and and, um, and kind of get to a kind of a disempowered state um, from that kind of grief that actually is sort of you know often associated with really really thinking too deeply into the current situation that we're, we're facing and the kind of mass extinction we're within so I, one of the things that I try and sort of project into 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 the music is a kind of playfulness and a, and a light-heartedness as well that can that can somehow weave into that while still thinking in, and um, occupying you know that kind of space of, of you know thinking thinking about the, the true magnitude of the situation that we're in so I don't know yeah I, I'd like to hope that it would it would um, kind of challenge people into a into a kind of celebratory creative joyous state as well as and motivated 
to kind of listen more deeply and engage more deeply with the with the with the wild and natural world that we're um, currently trashing. Linnaean. 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 Future. 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 Future.